When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm interviewing G.P. Gottlieb for her own channel, New Books in Literature, about her third whipped and sipped mystery, Chard. The series features Eileen Barron, owner of the Whipped and Sipped Cafe. At 39, she has her hands full with work, three children, a live-in dad with a serious illness, an uncooperative ex-husband, and a charming boyfriend who just happens to be a homicide detective. Then COVID strikes, and all those responsibilities become that much more difficult. Normally, the whipped and sipped cafe would have been bustling, the nearby sidewalks filled with people and the streets packed with cars and bicycles. Now the cafe was barely getting by. Yet that Friday morning, proprietor Aileen Barron looked at the end-of-the-month accounts and saw that they'd sold more cookies in April and May 2020 than they sold in all of 2019. Everyone was craving cookies. They were anxious about catching the COVID-19 coronavirus, shocked that it was killing a multitude of people, and distraught at being stuck in their homes with nowhere to go. Maybe isolating people keeps the virus from sending more victims to the hospital since they're already overcrowded, Aileen told Ruthie, her best friend and pastry chef. But I think closing all the public buildings and outdoor spaces is going too far. Ruthie, who was kneading a bread dough and usually saw the positive side to everything, said, They're trying to keep people safe, Aileen. I know you're upset that all our sales have to come from online or phone-in orders, but not having customers also protects us. I know, said Aileen, but I'm still frustrated. I miss people stopping by to grab a latte or indulge in your vegan baking. Ruthie acknowledged that everyone was frustrated. Aileen went out to the cafe and made herself an almond latte before going back to her office to finish the accounts. And now, please join me in welcoming G.P. Gottlieb. Hi, Galit. I look forward to talking with you about this latest installment in your ongoing series. Thank you, Carolyn. I look forward to talking to you, too. We discussed how you came to write fiction in general and this series in particular during our previous interview. So let's start here with COVID, which defines so much of what can and does take place. We get a hint of how that affects the cafe from the passage I read, but expand on that, please. Okay. I spent a lot of time looking out the window of my apartment building at the blockades that the city of Chicago put up around the park and, um, the blockade against anybody entering, uh, getting close to the lake. They were afraid afraid of anybody, you know, being together, being anywhere near. There was no understanding about what happened with COVID. How did it uh, get transmitted? Even though there were some signs and little uh, bits and pieces about how it it wouldn't be transmitted outside the sun, blah, 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 the rays of, I don't know. Still, the city of Chicago locked everything off and it was so depressing i spent a lot of time walking in the street with no problem because there were very few cars and um i was 
just we were all stunned by it. All the blocked, you know, all of the boarded off restaurants and stores. Everything was so depressing. And for me, there was also a personal reason why COVID was so on, on my mind when I started writing Chard, the third book in the series. My dad was dying and we weren't able to see him in the months leading up to his death because um, two months actually. So all we were able to do was drive by. And if my mother was strong enough and he was up for it, she would wheel him in a wheelchair to the window and we would get out of the car and from the, they were on the third floor and we would wave and that was it. So I was um, just so stressed and writing this book helped. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Uh, yes, it was really terrible. I, I, I heard um, a lot of people who were in a similar situation, and there was nothing you could do, but it, it, it did go on for months and months. Yeah, and and there were people who didn't, uh, reviewers who didn't like that I said it during COVID and who said things like, we're so over that. Why is she still writing about COVID? Well, it's it was still in my heart and soul when I was writing this book. It was still so important, and I needed to get that out. The pandemic affected you, but it also has an impact on your main character, Aileen Barron. Um, she has three children, a boyfriend but no husband, and a father who lives with her and does help with the kids, but he needs care himself. So describe her domestic situation for us at this point in time. Okay, she's... Okay, she's divorced. Uh, her ex-husband is not helpful in any way. He keeps on missing his, uh, he's supposed to take the kids on Saturdays and he keeps being late or not showing up or uh, canceling at the last moment. And she has her plate full, being, being the owner of a cafe. Her father has an autoimmune disease. He's not that old. He's uh, early 70s, but the auto immune disease prevents him sometimes from doing anything and he needs extra care. He does have a caretaker, a caregiver. And in this book, as we, as we open Chard, his caregiver has caught COVID and is in the hospital. So Aileen is just exhausted and doing her best, but uh, it's not always easy. Her boyfriend, uh, Frank Shaw, who is, as I mentioned, a police officer, um, he has a com complicated domestic situation of his own. What can you reveal about that? He has a young adult daughter who has not, uh, has not launched. She lives at home with him, and she gets terrible headaches that are debilitating. He's it constantly worrying about her. She also is uh, refuses to speak to him or give him answers about where he is. And no matter how many people say, "Well, you're you're a, a detective with the Chicago Police, get somebody to follow her," his response is, "Yeah, and it'll destroy my relationship." And it's true he can he can find other people. He just can't be a policeman with his daughter. He has to be a father. He's extremely worried about her, and um, it's possible that she's in uh, dealing drugs. He she doesn't have a job. He doesn't know where her money comes from. It's very confusing, and he's not quite sure what to do. 
Although there is some bickering among Aileen's staff, uh, on the whole, they're getting along much better than they did during the first novel in the series. Can you tell us a bit about the people who work for Aileen? Uh, do you have favorites? We talked a bit about Ruthie in the last one, and I think she's everybody's favorite, but there are others now. Yes. Casey is closest to Aileen's heart. Casey grew up across the hall, and she had a lot of she had a troubling young adulthood, teenage adolescence and young adulthood. And she's sort of come around. She's a really good worker. She's Ruthie's assistant now. Um, she has a lovely boyfriend and Aileen loves her and cares for her like a big sister. Um, also Jocelyn is somebody who I adore. She's no longer on the staff, but she works next door and she's important to the story because she's friends with everybody and she's, somebody who um, is, it, she has a shoulder that Aileen can lean on. There's, um, let's see, Latanya is a wonderful character. She is a student of, I think I, I think she was, a, she's just graduated. That's it. She was doing urban studies or something of that sort. And she's still there and she always has a wise crack ready. She's very solid down to earth, uh, struggled, struggled a lot to get through college and, but there's no jobs. She's ready to get a job. She's graduated and there's nobody's hiring during COVID. So Aileen, Aileen keeps her whole staff, no matter that she doesn't, no matter that she doesn't need them because there are no customers. Everybody has to do either pick up or carry out. Um, she has delivery kids on bicycles who run around the city bringing things, but everybody's struggling and Aileen's just trying to keep it together because her employees are, she really, they matter to her. She doesn't want to let them go no matter what happens. That's about it. So what are the sources of conflict among the staff in this novel? What brings them together and pulls them apart? Ah, well, we still have Edith who just sees everything. I just keep thinking her of as, of her as a prune face. Everything anyone says, she finds the worst side of it. She, she never hears positive. The glass is always half empty for her. And she is filled with tension. The only person who could calm her down, who knows how to talk to her is Jocelyn. Again, another reason why she's important. And whatever is happening, Edith just makes it worse. So um, the whole staff sort of rallies around Aileen whenever Edith is negative and all kinds of things are happening during these weeks that the books take that the book takes place so Aileen counts on her staff to pull together for her I don't know everything is so stressful and filled with tension and they do pull together for her they do their best um, there's also Casey's boyfriend, Kofi, who is assisting um, Aileen's previous former employee, Ollie, and they have um, been hired, Ollie and his assistant, Kofi, to revitalize the furniture. It's splintered and old and could use a good varnish. And she wants, uh, Aileen wants them to just paint the walls, clear things up because nobody can find work and she's doing her best. Aileen is to help them and they make a weird and unexpected discovery while they're doing 
that seemingly innocuous work. The novel addresses various other current topics besides COVID. Uh, There are several immigrant characters. There's a homeless man, uh, some examples of addiction, which you mentioned, uh, a brother and sister pair in which the brother has limited mental capacity, a certain amount of abusive behavior, and the issue of gentrification that appears to lie at the heart of the mystery. How do you pick which issues to feature? Right, because the world is such a mess. There's always something going on that would be worthy of discussion. We were also at a difficult crossroads politically in our country. There was so much, um, uh, there was so much anger and divisiveness. So I decided to stay away from that particular problem, but there was no shortage of, uh, there were no shortage of issues that I could touch upon and, the idea of gentrification was is really important to me. Homelessness is something that I think in every city around the country, but in Chicago, it's just so heartbreaking. The tent cities, and during COVID, I was so worried about the homeless people that I that I see all the time. It, later, I later found out that the city that the police. Um, pull them off the streets and put them into the empty into many empty motel and hotel rooms around the city because of course nobody was traveling anywhere and that was a little bit of a relief but there were still some who refused to go anywhere the the issue of um dealing with somebody of limited mental capacity that's also something close to my heart and i wanted to touch upon it in a in a, a gentle way um without no, I wasn't being judgmental about it because everybody's doing the best they can. The abusive behavior, that's life, also disturbing. I just touched upon it. And of course, yes, gentrification. I keep asking, where does everybody go? What happens to the people who are forced out? And the answer is, oh, they move further out to the suburbs. But Everywhere's expensive now. I heard an NPR um, show a few, I think it was a couple months ago, talking about even the towns that people were leaving the big cities to go to that were refuges because you could have, you could live there decently. You could get a, a normal size, human size apartment and pay human, normal rent that didn't take your whole paycheck. Those are even gone now. Everything's so expensive. So that bothers me. I brought that up. We'll just see. Don't worry. There's still many problems left for me to cover in future books. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have an endless supply of (laughs) social problems. It's through her staff that Aileen encounters the crime at the center of charge. Um, Can you set the scene for us, please? How does she become involved, even peripherally? Well... There's several crimes, so I can tell you the first one just in a vague sort of way because you know how in a mystery there's lots of stuff happening and some of it are some of the things that I talk about are red herrings and some of the things are important for the ultimate conclusion, but I don't want I don't want to give any hints. No, no, just just what we would know by reading the first chapter. So the first chapter, Aileen um gives a ride to Casey from across the hall, who I've already mentioned. Casey's boyfriend, Kofi, who I've also mentioned, who's assisting in the redecoration of the cafe. He's an artist, 
and he uh, he works with um, burned wood or remains of wood that he finds in lots all over the city in garbage dumps. And it's especially fun for him to find charred wood, which is the title of the book, Charred, uh, at burn at fire sites. So he has a, poli- a fire truck scanner, and when there's a fire, he always checks it out afterwards. It's illegal, I think. Um, so it's a little bit further away. There's not enough time for them to leisurely walk over. And also, he's hoping to gather a bunch of wood. He needs a, a vehicle. Uh, neither Casey or Coffee have a vehicle right now, so they beg, um, they beg Aileen to give them a ride. She does, and she sits and waits outside. And it's um, kind of a rainy, drizzly morning. No big deal. She uses the time to just relax and think. And um, Casey quickly comes back and she says, "It's too cold. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. I don't want to look. He could look by himself." And then within moments, Kofi runs back to the car and he doesn't have any wood with him. He, he doesn't have anything, any samples. And so Aileen and Casey ask him, what, like, what? What happened? And he said, nothing good. Nothing good. I didn't find anything. And they go home. And only later, Casey comes over. She goes, I forget who, who does what. But she, Casey comes to talk to Aileen and says... I have to tell you something, but you have to promise not to say anything to anyone. And Aileen promises before thinking. And it turns out that Kofi found something in the fireside that uh, freaked him out and sent him running without any of the supplies he needed for his art. And that something was a dead body. And that's all we learned. Uh, Aileen's knowledge uh, threatens her relationship with Frank. Uh, Why is that? Well, so for me, that was the heart of the story, of her story. So she's in this relationship and she wants it to be, this is, this is the, her, the love of her life, she thinks. She's been divorced for a number of years, maybe not, almost nine years now. She hasn't, she hasn't met anyone until Frank came along. And Casey puts her in this position of promising that she won't say anything, especially to Frank. So she keeps a secret. And in a relationship, those of us who are married, those of us who aren't perhaps, are in long-term relationships, you know how difficult that is and how wrong to keep an important secret from your partner. Unless it's that you're giving a, a, a special present for his birthday, you know, that there's secrets you can keep. But to keep the secret of a dead body from... You're the love of her life, who's a homicide detective. It's his job. It's not just that she's keeping a secret from in the relationship. It's that something that's important to his job that he needs to know. And she, Aileen, needs to learn that no matter how much she wishes that they would get married, it's never going to happen until she understands the, what, what it means to be in a real relationship. COVID doesn't only affect the background to the story. It also limits the number of potential suspects and Aileen's interactions with them. Uh, As a novelist, I would imagine that was a bit of a challenge. How did it affect your approach to the plot? (laughs) People 
still complain that I had too many people, although I always like to say Agatha Christie had 14 people mentioned, mentioned 14 people in the first chapter of, um, I forget which book now, well, probably many of them. So there were still, there was still a staff and I could still mention them, but I did often say, I, I mentioned how they were masked right? And I actually had to remove some of my mentions of how they were masked because it was too irritating even for me to read. But um, I think I still did okay. We were still talking on the phone during COVID. We were still, we were still seeing people. We were still in, you know, in the society, except that we were masked and not touching anyone. And we were gathering as for enjoyment. But those of us who had to work, we were still working if we needed to be there. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think I had a problem. Of course, there could have been more. And I think some of the some of the people that I added, some of the characters, I think they were all outside. So that, w- that worked, right? Yeah, you're right. They were all outside. Yeah. No, I thought it worked very well. I was just interested. I was watching it as a reader and thinking, man, she's really doing a lot with these characters because it's it's hard since there aren't as many people coming into the store and uh, into the shop and so on as as there were in some previous books. We learn a bit more about Aileen's background in this novel, specifically her father and his relationship with his older brother, Finn. I mean, obviously, we don't want to go too deeply into this, but is there anything that you can tell us about her background um, that is sort of general information? I, let's see. So uh, the father is a, a real character. He's a, a main stage character. I should have mentioned him before. He, um, in previous books, he, he loves um, telling dad jokes. He loves quoting Benjamin Franklin. As this book opens, he's just depressed because his caregiver is gone. Everybody's panicking, but, you know, older people... He's, he's at risk of COVID, so he doesn't get to go anywhere or do anything or see anybody, and he's just depressed, so he's not telling too many jokes. And then his brother, who um, disappeared years before, after being a kind of ne'er-do-well, he was accused of, and convicted of a crime and went to prison, got out, and disappeared. And, you know, in this country... One out of four families has an estranged family member. So it's something so close to so many people, whatever the story is. um, Cal already just thought that he'd never see his brother again. And it was something that depressed him. And while he was already depressed about being sick and his caregiver being in the hospital and everything was upsetting him. And then the brother that had disappeared suddenly appeared. And and on one hand, it was great. On the other hand, why? It was confusing. And, and Cal just didn't think highly of him at all uh, and was concerned about it. Why should he even meet him? And Cal keeps canceling the meetings until, until he finally comes through. I meant to ask you about um, Cal's caregiver. Um, she's quite a character. Tell us a little bit about her as a personality. So she's uh, she's from Poland and she's very well educated, but uh, came to this country and couldn't really find anything in her profession. And 
So she's caregiving, but she was also cleaning houses until she had this full-time caregiving job. And she's based on my the person who cleans my house and also is really a caregiver in my building. She takes care of people who have no family whatsoever, and she's just a wonderful human being. While she's, she comes in and cleans for a little bit, and then she says, I just have to go check on somebody. And she runs out and gives somebody their lunch and comes and cleans up and then comes back and finishes. And I've often said to her, um, isn't it better for you to, you know, you don't have to do this. I'll find somebody else if you want to, if you don't like doing it anymore since you're a caregiver. And she said, no, no, I like to keep busy and I'm sitting around when I'm caregiving. I like, I like moving. So I based Blanca on her. Um, Blanca always has something to say and She's very upset because while she was in the hospital, she had rented out an extra room to some a couple of guys from Poland, and they stole her stuff while she was in the hospital, and she just can't stop talking about it. So I I, I love her. I love Blanca. I also love that her um, in Polish, the name Blanca was spelled is spelled with a K, but she doesn't like it. She wanted to use the um, Spanish spelling. So she does. So it's spelled B-L-A-N-C-A. She doesn't take guff from anybody. She does what she wants to do. And she's actually become a friend of the family as Cal's caregiver. She spends so much time with them. She'll take care of the kids, too. She'll give them their breakfast when Aileen goes to work. Everything's different during COVID because the kids are home. But, yeah, Blanca's an integral part of the family. And her renters gave her COVID as well. That, that's what I remember. Is she was just hilarious when she was <laughs> talking about what she was going to do to them because they had given her COVID. That's what? right. And then they got out of the hospital before, or they didn't go to the hospital, right? They got healthy before her. And right. That yeah, was she pretty, was so yeah. mad at them. <laughs> One difficulty and with... We cre- all were. Yes. <laughs> One difficulty with creating an amateur detective, especially in the present day, is explaining how the amateur, um, uh, not least a preoccupied businesswoman and mother like Aileen, becomes involved in solving the crime. So I thought you came up with a really elegant solution, which I won't reveal to this particular problem in this book. But how did you go about crafting the story, uh, given the fact that, you know, it's not Aileen, but Frank who should actually be doing the investigating? So Frank is doing the investigating and Aileen keeps on sticking her foot in because, because she keeps being involved. It's her family. It's her, it's her father. It's, it's the cafe. She's worried. Um, she, she just keeps on being the people, anybody that's, and that works for her, she considers family too. And she's worried about everybody. So it's not that she's sleuthing. She's she just wants everything to be calm and um and just she likes solving other people's problems. I might have that issue too. You know? If somebody says a problem, like I have to bite my tongue not to say, "Have you thought?" No, nope. <laughs> nobody needs to hear my thoughts. But a lean feels free. <laughs> I have that issue too. <laughs> so now we can get to the food. There's a lot of food in the book, uh, which is not too surprising since Aileen owns a cafe. Um, there's recipes at the end of this book and the previous books. Um, how do you come up with recipes for each book that are appropriate? And do you make them up yourself? Do you find them online? Where, where do you get them? 
I, I have three ways of creating recipes. One is if somebody serves something or, or, or I, I love scrolling through Instagram and looking at people's recipes. And um, I'll see that and I'll think, that sounds good. I could do that. I don't know the recipe. I don't know what they did. Sometimes it's just a picture. And I think, well, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll see if I can create something like that. So that's the first way. The second way is I also, for relaxation, I scroll through cookbooks, sometimes in the library, not during COVID, of course, but uh, sometimes online. And I'll see a recipe for something, whatever it is. And I'll think two sticks of butter, two cups of sugar and, and four eggs. Uh, I'm not going to make anything with that. My baking is all vegan and my, um, and I try to use to do gluten free because we have so many people in our lives who are gluten free now. So there's enough of the two cups of sugar and two cups of butter and two cups of flour. And right. We have, we see those recipes. Everybody knows how to make brownies and cookies. Of course, they're delicious, but my goal is to recreate them. So that's the second way, looking through uh, other recipes and figuring it out on my own or making them gluten-free and vegan. Not all the recipes in the book are gluten-free and vegan because Aileen is not vegan and her family insists on having, when they want chicken soup, you know, she makes it. So that, but, but Ruthie, who is vegan, is rubbing off on her, as she says in the book. And my third way of finding recipes is just opening my refrigerator or freezer. Right now, I'm trying to clean out the freezer. And I find frozen spinach and frozen peas that were in the back of the free, freezer that I, I forgot I had. And I think to myself, I can do something with that. So tr- the trick is to... To do it more than once, I have to do recipes four or five times. And then I write the recipe down because I always forget, what did I do exactly? Did I throw it? Did I measure? I don't know. Sometimes that's why I have to do it again and again until I can write the recipe. Then I ask friends and family and anyone listening to this podcast who wants to, to test the recipes. And uh, in the beginning, I made so many mistakes. And my favorite one is a girlfriend who called me. Um, after I'd given her the recipe for one of my best uh, non-dairy chocolate cakes. And she called and said, hey, Galit, is there any chocolate in your chocolate cake? I had just forgotten. I agree. Um, And I would bet that even after you've written it down, the next time you make it, if you're anything like me, you probably do it differently anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, where do we go from here? Do you have a fourth Whipped and Sipped novel in the works? Well, I've um, outlined most of the way for two different Whipped and Sipped mysteries, but I don't have the, um, I just don't feel in my heart like I want to, I need a little break from it. So I started working on a a novel in stories that, um, just has been a lovely thing to work on that doesn't involve a mystery. It's just a book, just a novel, like kind of literary fiction maybe. But I'm not sure about it because I hear from so many people that we're supposed to have a brand as writers. And once we have our brand, we're not supposed to uh, tinker outside of the brand. But I'm just not sure. I'm a little unsure. I'm hoping that I'll get some clarity as the months go by. Right now, I'm so busy writing essays and articles all in the 
um, all to promote chard. So I haven't spent the time needed. I think I need um, a beach. (laughs) I think I need a quiet setting in a beautiful place and me sitting at my computer all day and night, and then I'll know what I'm going to do next. Well, thank you. What does that sound like to you? (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Galit. Thanks for inviting me, Carolyn. It's been fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm C.P. Leslie, and today I've been talking with G.P. Gottlieb, the host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel in the New Books Network, about her latest novel, Chard. Find out more about her at gpgottlieb.com. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at New Books Network. You can find out more about me and my books at cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye for now, and don't forget to stop by again soon to hear G.P. Gottlieb's and my next interviews on the New Books Network.